B A T F I R S C I A N F B I F D A N F C C Boy, do we have tyranny! It's everywhere. It's everywhere, folks. Not just in America, but of course in Ukraine. So we got a couple of announcements here before we get started. First of all, Brother A Bear's 2022 calendar is out, and the theme of the calendar is the fakeitude of COVID. Really good stuff with the with Bill Gates on the front page of the calendar. He's just recapping. All of the lies of the last couple of years, the COVID lies that we've had to endure. And uh, uh, so you can get a copy of that calendar by sending a, a donation of $20 or more to ANP, which stands for American National uh, Publishing. And that's uh, 900 Commerce Place. And it's box 1016. And that's uh, Forsyth, Illinois, 62535. Let me repeat that. That's ANP, 900 Commerce Place, uh, box 1016, Forsyth, Illinois, 62535. And uh, we're going to be doing our uh, series on Sargon the Magnificent. And I just I want to do a quick announcement uh, that you know today is actually Passover it began last night, so all you really have to do to celebrate Passover is to avoid yeast products. Okay, so you have to find out some other kind of uh, uh, source if you're going to eat some kind of bread. I mean, you can eat corn tortillas; they, they don't usually have uh, yeast in them. And uh, there's all kinds of products out there that are yeast free. So use yeast-free product. Why? Because the yeast represents the leaven of the Pharisees, right? So we want to spend a whole week, the whole Feast of Unleavened Bread, which uh, actually starts this evening, the, the Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the Wave Sheaf Offering, which is Monday, which is the uh, you know, symbolizes the, the risen Christ, okay? And then all the way up to next Sunday and Monday, will be the entire week. So it's actually a nine-day feast of unleavened bread. So you try to do without leavened bread for this whole period. And the Israelites had to throw out all their yeast products <laughs> in the garbage and then uh, use only uh, unleavened bread for that whole week. So, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing very good. And yeah. uh, apropos about the bread you can use, I think Brother Her Herbert had a very good recipe on his homepage for uh, unleavened bread with some honey and some olive oil. And it was it was delicious. Was okay. Like. So there I think he had um, a good recipe for that. Yeah. And plus uh, today with all of the GMO wheat that uh, is being produced, you're probably better off getting away from GMO wheat altogether, right? And most of those products... Okay. Have uh, have yeast in them, okay? And, so um, yeah. So I think here in Sweden that we are not so infected by GMO wheat as you are in America. You have really that 
Yeah, it's horrible. Around it, being, you have all those plagues around you in America. You have everything there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all GMO. Virtually everything is GMO these days. It's hard. And even you can't even trust the so-called natural organic uh, producers. You know, I saw a video of a guy uh, f- finding there's uh, metallic graphene or magnetic graphene in cornflakes, right? <laughs> So they're adding all this stuff. They're adding graphene to our food, folks. We'll do a show about that in the near future because it's a very important topic. The graphene in our food is poison, and they're adding it to everything, even the cornflakes. So if if you're having health problems, allergies like I do, it's probably because of all the graphene, the uh, all the garbage, the GMO garbage they're putting in the food. You have to. St- I'm actually going to start growing my own, Michael. <laughs> I'm I'm going to build a greenhouse and uh, going to grow my my own food because it's getting so bad you can't get real food anymore. But now uh, today we want to start the show off because this is such a, a ridiculous situation and uh, Michael and I have been covering Ukraine extensively and last week we did a show just about that so what's going on and we know that uh, that uh, Putin has been accusing the Ukrainians of ha- uh, having Nazis right and and indeed the the uh, this the Azov battalion so-called has been called Nazis right but we've been saying there's no Nazis in Ukraine. Ukraine is run by Jews, right? That's just disinformation because you know that everything in the world that's evil must be blamed on Nazis, right? So they're pretending that there are these Nazis running around in Ukraine making life difficult for the Ukrainians. No, it's Zelensky and the Jews who run that country. They're the ones who are making life difficult for the Ukrainians. And so I'm just going to go through this article real quick. The ADL, and I put the link in the chat room, the ADL defends Ukraine's neo-Nazis. Can you believe it, folks? Can you believe it? They actually defend Ukraine's neo-Nazis. They don't attack Jews or Jewish institutions. Oh, really? No. They, well, they, what they do is they attack Ukrainians. And then blame it on Nazis. You see, folks? That's how the game is played. And so when Putin said to all these neo-Nazis in Ukraine, he, we thought he was being facetious. Actually, he was. He was being facetious. and Because uh, he knew that they were actually Jews. Right? <laughs> Which is what we've been telling people all along. Right? The uh, Azov Battalion, so-called. So here is from the ADL. This is by Chris Manahan. Uh, information Liberation, the Anti-Defamation League, the leading pro-Israel lobbying group in America, published a Q&A defending Ukraine's neo-Nazi groups. We told you they were not real Nazis. On the grounds that they don't attack Jews or Jewish institutions. They're nice Nazis, Michael. Yeah. And to the extent that not neo-Nazis exist anywhere in the world, it's like a pittance of what it used to be, right? We used to have neo-Nazi groups in America, but they're all five of them. I know all five of them personally. <laughs> in an article titled, why, why is Putin calling the Ukrainian government a bunch of Nazis? The ADL interviewed David Fishman, professor, and here's a Nephilim. <laughs> and his folded hands look like, he, uh, he looks like a Nephilim, right? 
professor of Jewish history at Jewish Theological Seminary, to explain why Ukraine's neo-Nazis aren't so bad. He says, there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine, just as there are in the U.S. and in Russia, for that matter. But they are a very marginal group, just as we've been telling you all along. The neo-Nazis of the world are a very marginal group. But yet, every evil act must be blamed on them, right? So, another, on one hand, they're admitting they're a marginal group. On the other hand, oh, they're so huge, we must be afraid of them at all times, right? That's basically the essence of Jewish propaganda about the neo-Nazis. Uh, and so, this is from the ADL. Quote, Russia has for years highlighted the activity of a marginal group of Ukrainian ultranationalists as a way of trying to stigmatize all of Ukraine, Fishman claimed. No, what's really going on is they're trying to blame all of Ukraine's problems on neo-Nazis. That's what the, that's the game, folks. Yes, some members of these ultranationalist groups have used Nazi insignia, made Hitler salutes, and used anti-Semitic rhetoric, but they are politically insignificant and in no way representative of Ukraine. The political parties which are ultranational support received just over 2% of the vote in the 2019 elections. Ukraine is a flawed democracy, but unquestionably a democracy and in no way a Nazi regime. That's just as we've been telling you, folks. The Nazi problem in Ukraine is non-existent, but it's even worse. The Azov Battalion, which is the neo-Nazi group, supposedly, have been supported by Zelensky. Zelensky even gave them weapons. Okay. Michael, are you afraid of neo-Nazis now? <laughs> yeah. They are so so few also. So, I mean, this, yeah. this is, I don't know. They try to ramp up this, that right. they are, uh, what do I say, uh, neo-Nazis on their every bed, everywhere. And that's right. Around, but yep. they, they're yeah. really not. Yeah. Yeah, that song by Carl Klang, I'm the Resister. <laughs> yeah. So, but the real story folks, which the, you know, obviously the ADL won't tell you, is that these people, these fake neo-Nazis, are being financed by the Jews. Okay? It's just their way of scaring the hell out of everybody, including their own fellow Jews, who don't know any better, who, who don't know that everything the ADL puts out is fake news, right? So you have to have some bad guy, and if it's not Putin, it's the Azov Battalion, who are, in fact, no, they're not ultranational. They're mercenaries, folks. That's what they are. They're mercenaries. And Zelensky has armed them and financed them. That's the bottom line. That's all you really need to know. And so they're, they're so, uh, blame it on the neo-Nazis and the Azov group. Blame it on the neo-Nazis and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so you might as well sing that song, folks, because that's what's really going on. You know, it's uh, the... The propaganda coming from the ADL and global Jewry is blame everything on the Nazis, and then that's all you need to know, right? Okay, Michael, that's my rant about what's going on in Ukraine for today. But unless you have any comment further, we can get to um, Sargon the Magnificent. No, I think we can get started, but um, I thought about um, you also send an interesting, um, I don't know if you take that one, or also a very interesting message uh, oh, oh. to me about the, the prices in, in Ukraine. Oh, okay, yeah, the message from Chris Peed. Yeah, let me yeah. access this. Thanks for reminding me. Okay, 
So from Chris in London, he says, Russia is writing off all consumer and utility debt of people in areas of Ukraine controlled by the Russian army, which I guess he's pay- the Russians are paying their bills. Russia is also paying all pensions and other government payments. People in those areas will also now pay the same for natural gas, electricity, and I guess it means gasoline, as people in Russia. Ukrainians pay 600% more for natural gas than Russians, 250% more for gasoline, and around 100% more for electricity. Why? Because the Ukrainian government, which is totally Jewish, has been robbing Ukrainian people since 2014. Continuing, the mass of people might revolt and overthrow the Zelensky dictatorship without Russia having to fire a shot. And this may be why uh, they hired Putin to invade <laughs> to invade Ukraine, folks. If you, Russia points these po- posters by the millions and drops them by air on Kiev, Lviv, and Kharkiv, and all the other cities posted on social media website and broadcast it on all their news channels, the common worker in Ukraine is close to impoverished by the cost of utilities and gasoline with stagnated and even falling wages in the last few years. In the winter, many Ukrainians had to choose between buying food or paying their utility bill. It was so bad for Ukrainians that one, that one incentive Ukrainian government gave to join the, mil- the military before Russia's special operation was to forgive all utility debt in exchange for enlisting in the army. Such a deal, right, Michael? (laughs) So this is what's really going on in Ukraine, folks. Thank you, Chris, for that report. And, of course, mass media says nothing about the impoverished situation of the Ukrainian people. Okay? And, and And they fail to report also about the same group, the Azov Battalion, has been waging war against Russians, you know, in the area conceded to Russia in 2014. So they've been attacking those civilians for the last six years, eight years now, and mass media is not reporting that because you have to pretend that Putin is the bad guy, the Nazis are the bad guys, and the Jewish regime in Ukraine, oh, that's all good. They're saints, Michael. You must worship them. Over to you. No, we have we have our Lord and Redeemer to worship. Not, yeah, not there you go. Oh no! Well, you you know the Jews don't worship that. <laughs> they don't worship Jesus Christ by no means. Okay, yeah. So that's the real situation in Ukraine, folks. Uh, don't believe anything. If put it this way, if a Jew says something, you know the opposite is true. Period. That's all you need to know. All right, over to you, Michael. Chapter 20, and I put the link in the chat room, but you have to download it onto your computer to open up the entire document from the newensign.com. And we're at chapter 20, the Babylonian gods and goddesses. Over to you. Yeah, to make some uh, connection to what you said before. Here we come to what they worship. The gods and goddesses they worship. Right. And uh, if something comes out of the new, you can be certain it is a lie. It is complete opposite. So you can't believe that rag that someone said. <laughs> right. <laughs> All Jewish publications are rags, folks. Yeah, Pure they're rags. Rags, yeah. 
Okay, so let's now go into chapter 20 of um, Sargon the Ma Magnificent. And this is the Babylonian gods and goddesses. Uh, first is a quote. Um, the examination of names is the beginning of learning, end quote. And that is a bracket by Socrates, end bracket. Um, Assyriologists believe that the literary revival took place in Babylonia about 2000 BC, when all the ancient traditions of that country were collected and written down. And if, as cer certain facts seems to prove, Cain settled in Babyl Babylonia about 1800 years before that date, those traditions, full of references to biblical characters, and events are easily accounted for. They, I hold, are nothing less than the corrupted versions of the ancient history recorded in the first chapter of the Bible. So, uh, so Cain was the second liar. <laughs> the first liar was the, Cain's daddy, Nakash. And they've been lying ever since. Oh, yeah, and they have a lot of, uh, what do you say, descendants after them that keep on this tradition. Yes. Now, uh, I forget what she said. I, I believe she said that Ya'a, or spelled E-A, is actually a short version for Eve, Eve worship. Uh, I think that's what she said earlier, so she doesn't talk about that here. Although she does say that these uh, th these gods and goddesses are models of Adam and Eve, right? Etc. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and I think that, as you're referring to, will come up in this chapter as well, because this is one of the chapters I found very interesting when I read this book the first time. Right. Because right. a lot of stuff that we've been reading in the from the, what do you say, mythological point of view makes sense when you read this. You kind of know, get a picture where everything seems to stem from. Yes, and there was another guy who wrote a book about uh, gr Greek mythology, and he pointed out that all of these Greek gods and goddesses actually derive from the Garden of Eden. So basically, he says the same thing that, uh, that, that Mrs. Sidney Bristow was saying here. Okay, back to you. But uh, the archaeologists yeah. don't want to hear it because they don't want to believe the Bible in any way, shape, or form. So they invent their own <laughs> theories, right? That's what's going on. All right, back to you, Michael. Yeah, and I think we read in previous chapters about that, uh, that um, uh, what do you say, the, where those gods uh, comes from, the Greeks and the Romans one was from Babylonia. Right. That's, Babylon that's right. From. Right. And that, where does Babylonian mythology come from? Cain. Comes from yes. Cain. Um, yeah. All right. Let's continue. Uh, most of the examples I quote are taken from translations given by Professor Sais. They are dull and tiresome <laughs> reading. We'll try to make it exciting for you folks. All right. Uh, because of their contradictions and absurdities. But for my purpose, it is, of course, necessary to examine them. The professor tells us that the first Babylonian gods were, were a trio. Quote, the supreme gods Anu, Mulil, and Ea. And okay, quote. yeah. Anu on horn, Mulil on trumpet, <laughs> and Ia on drums. There you go. They didn't invent the lute yet. Yeah, and here we have trio. Here is the trinity. That's right. That's their, their trinity, yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. And that 
there was a fourth god called Tammuz. These four gods uh, seem to be regarded by Assyriologists as the models from which Adam, Eve, the devil, and Abel were drawn. But my contention is that, on the contrary, they were the uh, defied representatives of those Bible characters. Yeah, deified. Deified. Deified, oh. Yeah. They're, they're turned into deities by the Assyriologists. Okay, so they can avoid dealing with the Bible, <laughs> right? Now, but it's true. I mean, uh, it's understandable that the archaeologists uh, behave this way and believe this way because it is absolutely true that the pagans around the world deify their ancestors. Okay, so uh, they would say the same thing, but they what they don't. Uh, understand is that Cain was a real person and he began this mythology that they're following. Back to you. Yes, and that is what those astrologists seem to want to cover up or don't want to hear. Yeah, exactly. They were the deified representatives of those uh, Bible characters and that it was Cain who deified their memories by transferring to them some of the attributes of God. This um, con- contention finds support in the notable fact that Cain himself had no place in the oldest group of gods. And uh, here we have a footnote. Uh, as we shall see, Sargon was deified in later times. And the footnote. Okay. I thought that uh, Cain uh, is Tammuz, but maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, uh, no? No. Tammuz is, is Abel. Tammuz is Abel. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And so yeah, Cain left himself out. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, because he, did. he didn't Yeah, he didn't want us to know about him. <laughs> right? Yeah, he, he pretends to be a descendant of Adam, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But then when, when those, what do you say, when those change sometimes, the uh, those, uh, because that was something when I read that the, uh, the representations of those uh, three your God seems to change. So sometimes you have an, I think, a representat- representation of the sun and mm-hmm. who is the sun in this trio. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the original. What so what uh, Mrs. Sidney Bristow is saying that the original mythology comes from Cain. And then as time progressed, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, they all added their own mythology to it. And that's a bundle of confusion, which she is trying to straighten out. Okay, back to you. Yes. Okay. Um, Had he not been its inventor, he would surely have been included in it. A fit companion for Bel, the devil. Professor says, says about the fourth god, Tammuz, whom he calls the prototype of Abel. Quote, The primitive home of Tammuz had been in that Garden of Eden, or Eden, which Babylonian tradition placed in the imminent vicinity of Eridu. Hence, his mother, uh, bracket, and wife, and bracket, is called the Lady of Eden. And we have a footnote here for Eridu, and that is... It was at Eridu that the Garden of the Babylonian Eden was placed. And that's, a, that's from the religion of the Babylonians, page 263, end of footnote. Okay. Yeah, well, and where this, is Eridu? 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so that, uh, what's the exact location? Uh, you don't, I don't think we really can pinpoint it yet. Okay, back to you. And this quote was from Hebert Lectures, page 23. Um, he also says that like Abel, Tammuz was a, a, sh- a shepherd and was killed when John. As Rilogius suggests that the biblical, quote, Garden of Eden, end quote, was so named after uh, some lo- uh, locality in Babylonia. But my suggestion is that the Babylonian Eden, or Eridu, uh, bracket, as it is sometimes called, and bracket, more probably took its name from the original garden, which Cain had known of in his youth, and that the name was brought into Quote, the land of Nod, and quote, by him. Professor Say seems to identify the second god of the great trio with Satan by writing, quote, the supreme bell was Mulil, who was called the god of the lower world. His messengers were uh, nightmares and demons of the night, and from whom came the pla- plagues that oppressed mankind. And quote. Well, that would be Nakash, Cain's daddy. Right? Yeah. Okay. But they never made that connection. (laughs) Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And this quote was also from Hebert Lectures, page 147. Another writer says, quote, Mulil was the original bell of the Babylonian mythology and was lord of the surface of the earth and of the affairs of men, and quote. And this is from the Chaldean Genesis, um, George Smith, page 58. And isn't that also, yeah, that describes, yeah, that, that describes Satan, mm-hmm. the lord of the surface of the earth. Yeah, and the underworld too. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, and um, this is also then a footnote here. The devil is described three times by our Lord as the prince of this world. And then you have some biblical references to John, John uh-huh. chapter 12, uh, verse 31, and uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 30, and 16, verse 2. I think I got it correct. Yeah, no, uh, that, uh, 16, uh, uh, verse 11. That's Roman numerals. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that is end of that footnote. Okay. Having identified um, these two gods with Abel and Satan, it is obvious that Anu and Ea, uh, bracket, or Ishtar, and bracket, must have represented Adam and Eve. Professor Says says this, says that, quote, The city of Erech was the seat of the gods Anu and Ishtar, who were afterwards adopted by the Hebrews, and the quote. And as they certainly did not adopt them, as a gods, this must mean that the, that he regarded them as the prototype of Adam and Eve. Okay, well, that's correct. You know, that's the way it worked out. But obviously, the Israelites and, and the Hebrews were forbidden from worshiping lesser gods, right? But our ancestors did it anyway. Back to you. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons why our heavenly father was so furious with the ten northern tribes. Right, right. Now, now isn't Mary also queen of heaven, <laughs> the mediatrix of the universe? Aren't aren't they deifying Mary? Catholics, that is, right? Oh yeah, the Catholics. Yeah. Us, they are 
placed her as um as one part of this trio. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. All right, back to you. It is no- notable and noticeable that while in later mythological gods were never by any chance reduced to the status of men, on if he had really been the marble from which Adam was drawn, must have been divested uh, by the su- support, supposed writer of Genesis of the highest estate ever attributed to a pagan god, and Ishtar must have been reduced from her positions as quote, queen of heaven, end quote, to that of a mere woman. They, with the god Tammuz, would have been the only um, exceptions to an otherwise invariable rule of the mythological system. About the god Anu, George Smith writes, quote, at the head of Babylonian mythology stands a deity who was sometimes identified with the Heavens, sometimes considered as the ruler of uh, God of heaven. This deity is named Anu. His sign is the um, symbol star, the symbol of divinity, and at other times the Maltese, Maltese cross. Anu represents abstract divinity, and he appears as an original principle, uh, perhaps as the ordinal principle of nature, end okay. quote. Oh, this is very interesting because in the Hungarian language, if I remember correctly, Anu means father. Okay? So if the, uh, this was probably a remembrance of Adam as our father. But Anu in Hungarian is not a deity. It simply means father. Back to you. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see here, I think. When father Adam. They... Yeah. Good. Yes, when they are that on the sign is the simple star. I don't know how it is in America or in England or Germany about, but I know in those uh, pagan Christmas tree, what do they put in the top of the Christmas tree? Yeah, the five-pointed star. Yeah. Yeah, a star. Or, or an angel. Yeah. yeah, or an angel. Yeah, that's usually it. Yeah, so they we see more references here to Babylonia here. Um, by by the way, it. we're coming up on Easter, so don't forget to get your uh, chocolate Easter eggs <laughs> and uh, and worship Ishtar. Yeah, right? and the other see. Okay. And now we see also who Ishtar, who who was, and then the Ishtar, interesting that we are there now to see who Ishtar was, what that represented is. That is worshipping of the uh, wasn't it? Um, yeah, no, I forgot what what Ishtar was to, but okay. Well, but, yeah, well, Ish- Ishtar is uh, is Eve. That's just yeah, Eve. For Eve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See how fast we forget. On <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, is called in one inscription, "quote the King of Angels and Spirits, Lord of the City of Erech." And quote. Um, in another, quote, on the chief, the father of gods, end quote. The temple of Erech, a bracket, Enoch, and bracket, was called, uh, quote, the house of Anu, and, quote, the house of heaven, end quote. On is also called, uh, quote, the lord of the old city, end quote, meaning Erech. Mm-hmm. And here I think we have a long, maybe have an interesting footnote to read. So I will read the footnote that starts yeah. after that. 
Um, let's see. Chaldean Genesis, page 55. The name, quote, Old City, uh, end quote, applied to Erech, seems consistent with the theory that the, that, that that city was built by Cain, for his city would naturally have been the oldest in Babylonia. Right. And another name for, for Erech, um, quote, the place of the settlement, end quote, uh, is also appropriate if Cain first settled there. And that is from the Hebrew lectures, page 195. Uh, Professor Say says that the name of, quote, Unuk and is found on the oldest bricks, end quote, and is, quote, the same as Enoch built by Cain, end yes. quote. Absolutely. Yeah, so but the N changes to an R, but uh, there's languages that do that. You know, they, they switch uh, consonants uh, from one language to the other. So uh, apparently uh, it's Enoch, the son of Cain. All right, because he named that, that uh, city after his son, Enoch. Yes. Let me find the verse in uh, Genesis chapter 4. Please continue. Yes, have one more quote here. Yeah. Um, the capital of this part of the ca- uh, county was Uruk, called in Genesis Erech. Erech was devoted to the worship of Anu, the god of heaven, and his wife, the goddess um, An- Anathu, as well as of Istar, the Phoenician um, Astaroth, or uh, Astarate, the myth yeah. of whose love for the sun god Demusi or Tamus, the Adonis of the Greek story, is right. alluded to in the chorus of the poem. End quote. Okay, so here it is, Genesis four four seventeen, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. Okay, now who his wife was, we don't know, but she was one of the uh, races that were created in Genesis chapter one. There's no doubt about that. Okay, because there were pe- these were people all over the place, and so he named uh, his first son Enoch. And uh, but in other languages, it's called Unuk or Erech. All right, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And then uh, unto Enoch was born Irad, and and Irad begat Mahujael. Mahujael begat Methusael. And, be, and he begat Lamech. So we see that the pattern here is to mimic the names of the actual sons of Adam and Eve, or the Sethites, right? That's that's the pattern here. And then uh, you know, to create more confusion. Okay, back to you. Uh, thank you. So that was the end of that footnote. Okay. Um, and otherwise called the yes, says Iunuk. So, the glorification of Anu left no place in Babylonian mythology for a supreme being. Although, as we shall see, the existence of God was known from the earliest historical times in Babylonia. Anu's only rivals in mythology were Bel, to whom his titles as well as his wife are sometimes transferred Okay. Uh, let's see here, and a, a footnote here. Uh, one of Ishtar's title as wife of Bel was uh, Belitili or Enan, and this is from Legends of Babylonia, page sixty-three, end of footnote. And Marduk, who in late Babylonian mythology inherited Bel 
bells and also honors designations. Usually, honor is described as the god of heaven, bell as that of the earth, and Ea or Enki of the waters. In the Babylonian story of the creation of the world, we find uh, the lines, um, quote, Ishtar with Anu, the king into a notable seat they raised, and in the government of heaven they fixed it, end quote. And this is from the Chaldean Genesis, page 109. This is, I suggest, a veiled reference to Cain's deifications of Adam and Eve, and the inscriptions in which Anu and Ishtar are called the Lord and Lady of the Holy Mound is probably an allusion uh, to the Garden of Eden. In a curious myth translated by Professor Says, uh, the Tree of Life, uh, bracket, or perhaps that of uh, Knowledge, and bracket, is surely, is surely referred to in uh, connection with Anu, Ia, and Bel. And quote, the authors amid the waters and treasures of Anu, Bel, and Ia, the tablets of the gods, the delivering of the oracles uh, of heaven and earth and the cedar tree, the beloved of the great gods, uh, which their hand has caused it to grow, end quote. And that is from Hebrews lect lect Lectures, page 141. Again, the tree of life may be meant by, quote, the mighty plant of Anu, uh, which Ea, the divine uh, antelope, um, carried to a place of purity, and the quote. Yeah, it's the, the DNA of the white race of the animate of the Adamites, right? Which is still being protected <laughs> in the garden, the spiritual garden of Eden. Put it that way. Okay. Place that's the yeah. place of purity. Yep. The third member of the tree of gods is Ea, who Professor Jastro says was the god of water. Uh, quote the third in the great triad of which the other two members were Anu, the god of heaven, and Bel, the god of earth, end quote. Right. And, uh, and that is from religion of Babylonian Assyria. Yeah, uh, I don't know where the antelope comes from. <laughs> how do, where does the antelope come from? Uh, crazy how they insert, well, if there was no apple in, in, uh, in the you know, Adam and Eve story either. So they t keep on inserting stuff that doesn't belong. Okay. Yeah, and here we have, have here we have an antelope. Yeah, right. Yeah, with an apple in its mouth, probably. Yeah. Here again, I find myself at. Uh, oh, sir. Yeah. I'm sorry. Bless uh, you. Here again, I find myself <laughs> at uh, loggerheads with a professor who regards Ea as uh, distinct from Ishtar. While in my opinion, they both represent Eve, their reasons being presumably that Ea is a male god, while Ishtar is nearly always represented as a goddess. But the fact that although uh, Ishtar is often Anus partner, um, yeah. partner um, Ea is the third in the first triad of gods, in which the two other represents Adam and the devil. Least no doubt in my mind that Ea, as well as Ishtar, represents Eve. So these, yeah, hold on. Yeah, just, these these myths actually adequately represent Cain and uh, Nakash, 
right? They very adequately represent that. So if the archaeologists and the Assyriologists would only trust the Bible, as as Mrs. Sidney Bristow is doing, then they wouldn't have confused all these things, right? But yeah, it's the trio, the trio in the garden. Nachash, Adam, and Eve, and their son Cain. And of course, Tammuz now being Abel, but he he is only referenced uh, briefly because he failed to live very long. Back to you. Yeah, and isn't it something with Thomas that he, was he a, a, a pig or was he killed by a pig or something like that? Uh, yes, <laughs> that's good because he was killed by Cain, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think you got that right, figuratively speaking. Yeah. yeah. Um, unless we realize the pre-system of uh, obscuration, ob- obscurantism, we cannot make a head or a tail of their writings. Yeah, they make it uh, complicated, yeah, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, obscure. Obscure. They make it uh, difficult to understand deliberately. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good word, but I, 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 it's an obscure word too. <laughs> That's right. Other <laughs> um, reasons for uh, regarding Ishkar and Ea as one and the same are that they both are described as partners of uh, Thomas, the mythological representative of Abel, and are both associated with the serpent. And it would um, um, scarcely be a more coincidence that while On is connected in uh, inscriptions with both Ishtar and Ea, Adam's wife is called in the Bible both um, Ishtar Ishtar, quote, woman in Hebrew, end quote, and Eve. Ishtar is usually represented as, quote, the great mother, end quote, the Dea, um, Miranimus, or goddess of 10,000 names, who, ah. Professor, um, okay. who Professor Say says, tell us, was represented by all the Babylonian goddesses and most of the later Egyptian, Greek, and Latin ones and who is obviously the uh, deified form of Eve, for among her many names, she is called, quote, mother of mankind, um, and, quote, the lady of Eden, and, quote, quote, the beloved of Anu, and, quote, quote, the goddess of uh, birth, and, quote, quote, the goddess of the tree of life, and, quote, Quote, the lady of rising, end quote, etc. Under well, the, the yeah, name. Yeah, excuse, excuse me, because this comes from Adam's statement. Eve uh, is the mother of all living. That's what he says the, the name Eve means, okay? Obviously, she's not the mother of all animals, but the, the animals that count coming out of the garden. <laughs> all right, back to you. Um, thank you. Under mm-hmm. the name of Nina, or... Nintu, um, Ishtar is said to have uh, divined all the mysteries of the gods, surely a reference to Eve's accusations of godlike knowledge described in the Bible. Professor King says, quote, Nina, who could divine all the mysteries of the gods, and quote, and this is from Summer and Akkad, page 266. And the next lines uh, can only refer to Eve's remorse at sight of the terrible result of her 
uh, disobedience. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. gain. Yeah. Quote, Ishtar uh, cried aloud like a woman in travail. The lady of the gods lamented with loud voice, uh, bracket, saying, and bracket, The old race of man hath been turned back into clay, because I uh, assented to an evil thing in the council of the gods, and agreed to a storm which hath destroyed my people, that which I brought forth, end quote. Okay, I mean, yeah, how clear can it be, <laughs> All right? That's what we expect Eve to say after being seduced by Nakash. Yeah, and look mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at the stuff that happens afterwards, it, what it brought forth. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, so everything uh, Mrs. Sidney Bristow uh, is putting forth makes tr- tremendous sense, too much sense. That's why she's being ignored. All right. Ignore, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, let's continue. And that was from King, Babylonian Religion, page 134. Uh, it is consistent with my theory of the identify of Ishtar with Ia, that Ia was, according to Professor Says, regarded in Babylonia as, quote, the author of knowledge and intelligence, end quote, and was called, uh, quote, the god of culture, end quote. Professor Yastro remarks that no god shows such distinct proof of having been submitted to Quote, theological changes as Ea, end quote. Well, Yahweh, yeah, yeah, Yahweh spoke directly to her, and of course Adam as well, and gave her the law, right? But, uh, you know, and this is our problem today. We have the law, but we don't obey it. Same problem that Eve had, and, and, and Adam too. Back to you. Yes, uh, but that's not to suggest, as I do, that Ea represented Eve, it seems reasonable, however, to think that Ea, although a male god, represented Eve, since Ishtar is sometimes turned into a male deity. Professor Seis speaks of, quote, the doubt as to whether Ishtar were male or female, end quote. <laughs> okay. And Transgenderism, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And isn't that typical of, of this... Uh, of uh, Satan and Lucifer, that uh, representation of uh, what was that now? That uh, that hideous creature with breasts and with uh, horns yeah. and uh, I forgot the name on it. Oh right, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, the horn god. That uh, that's a transgender god, hermaphroditic god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of mm-hmm. it either right now. Okay, yeah. Uh, and this was from Hebert Lectures, page one fifty four. And mentions an astronomical tablet in which she is a female at sunset and a male at sunrise. Bracket, page 254, end bracket. In a curious, quote, um, bilingual hymn, end quote, Ea is eventually referred to as, quote, the mighty mother, end quote. And allusions are also made to Eridu and Eden, to Thomas, bracket, Abel, end bracket and to the uh, tree in the midst of Eden. Uh, some of, of the words are, quote, In Eridu, a stalk grew in a holy place. Did it become green? Bracket, before, and bracket. Ea was its course in Eridu, uh, theming with uh, fertility. 
bracket, there is the home, and bracket, of the mighty mother who passes across the sky, bracket, in, and bracket, the midst of it was Thomas, and quote. Okay, yeah, Abel was there too. <laughs> but not in the sky, right? So so the, the legend to, makes all this happen in the sky. Yes. Right? Yeah. So this is how this, these these mythologies begin. They start with a, a glimmer of truth, right? The three people are really there, right? Uh, Adam, Eve, uh, Cain, and Abel. And then the rest is all make-believe to impress us, okay? And yes. To, yeah, to impress the heathen. Yeah, and make them believe at it because, and then they make lots of, uh, lots of uh, like the Catholic Church have done in their church, so lots of bling bling. Right. Yeah. Fiction, fiction, uh, mythology passed off as Christianity. Yeah. Yes. Um, and there, this is from Hebert Lectures, page two hundred thirty-eight. Um, in another cryptic writing, the name of Ea is said to be recorded upon, quote, the core of the cedar tree, end quote, which was thought to, quote, shatter the power of the incubus, end quote, and to cure people um, possessed by devils. While another inscription uh, connects Ea with Eden by saying, quote, the divine bolts of Ea and his wife were named the god of the field of Eden and the God of the house of Eden, end quote. Uh, that's from Hebert Lectures, page 189, end bracket. Um, then, to confuse matter further, Ea's wife, Dalkina, is said to be the mother of Thomas, Professor Says remarks, quote, as mother of Thomas, uh, Dalkina, the wife of Ea, had a special name as she seems to identified with Ishtar in the same passage, we may conclude that the um, compiler of the mythological list regarded her as equal the mother and the wife of Thomas. And okay. Quote. There are a pair of lesbians <laughs> right, who adopted Tammuz. That's probably yeah, what happened. Is. Oh, by the way, the cedar yeah. tree imagery also comes from the Bible. Because the Bible compares the kingdom of Assyria to a cedar tree, and it also states somewhere that uh, Assyria was in the garden. Okay, in other words, there were lots of races in the garden, and uh, the cedar tree represents, you know, the blossoming of the whole uh, you know, race of humanity. Of course, with the uh, Adamic race uh, in the center, because we, we create civilization. So that's what the cedar tree represents. So, again, we see that these ideas are borrowed from the Bible. Okay. Yes. And isn't it, is it Lebanon that has the cedar tree as their as right. their logo on the flag? That's right. That's right. And uh, those cedar trees are to be compared with the sequoia trees in California. They were absolutely huge. A couple of hundred feet high. Uh, tremendously okay. huge. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good lumber. <laughs> and yeah, there was thought about this. When you see this um, Davkia and the, the relationship with the Ia, could this be some example of this um, obscurantism that um, she alludes to uh, previously, this confusion they had? Yes, absolutely. Confusing a male and female, confusing Adam and Eve. You know, it's, it's all confusion. And it, it leads to this mythology 
and various religions that have come about as uh, the, how should, should I say, every different uh, group of uh, nationalities, you know, Greeks, Romans, Egyptians, uh, chose to make it more palatable to their own people by having their own national mythology. And that's how all these... Uh, so, But it's all one one and the same story. It's Adam and Eve, Nachash, and uh, Cain and Abel. That's what it's all about. It is. Yeah. That's the root. I think that is the beauty yeah. of this text, to see this, that's where everything stems from. That's right. Um, if Ea and Ishtar, bracket, otherwise Dovkina, and bracket... Represent Eve, as I believe they do. Uh, the priests excel themselves here by making Eve her own <laughs> wife. All right, there you go. Yeah, she's a lesbian, right? <laughs> Although he does not suggest that Ea and, and Ishtar were different forms of the same deity. Professor says, notice some connections between the two. He says that um, Ishtar was also um, Yasmu, quote, uh, the wise one, end quote, uh, the, quote, lady of the deep, end quote, end quote, the mistress of the abode of the fish, end quote, and quote, the voice of the deep, and that therefore she must have ranked with Ea, the fish god, end quote, lord of the deep, end quote. Oh, isn't that the fish god hat that the Pope wears? Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, at least... Uh, wait, yeah, I have a footnote here I can read. Uh, footnote 1. Western Asiatic inscriptions. And the uh, quote, Eridu, the seat of the Chaldean god of culture, Ea, whose home was in the deep. And the quote, and that says, religion of the Babylonians. And the footnote. And uh, where was I? Yeah, confused. <laughs> yeah, now I'm confused. I'm, yeah, I'm right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. And at least one student of mythological supports my contention that, that Ishtar and Ea were identical by saying, quote, Ishtar, the ocean mother and female form of Ea. End quote. Okay. The legend of Ishtar uh, descends into hell to bring back Thomas, bracket, Abel, and bracket. Is eventually, as Professor Says points out, the organ of the later legends of Isis and Osiris, uh, of uh, the Mentor, and uh, Persepone, and of uh, Eurydice, and Orpheus, and according to the same authority, Ishtar became the after of, uh, of the Canaanites, the uh, Astorate of the Phoenicians, as well as uh, Diane or Artemis, Venus or uh, Aphrodite. Yeah, so uh, all these new names are applied to Eve, but now they're all different goddesses. Okay. That is something those said here in Sweden, or if you say the same in, in America about women's that they that the, that the women's come from Venus, right? <laughs> and men are from Mars, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, but of course, yeah, that's not mythology. That's humor. 
There was some some comedy uh, act. Uh, women are from Venus, men are from Mars, something like that. Okay. To yeah, point out the differences, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it, it sounds to me, okay, the descent into hell is actually the fall from grace of Adam and Eve. All right? The descent into mortality, given the prospect that they had uh, by obeying Yahweh's law of immortality, which they lost in the garden. So the descent into hell is simply the loss of, of uh, immortality. Okay? But it has to be uh, glamorized, right, and called hell. But actually, maybe it's not glamorized. It's hell. We're living in a living hell even today, right, of lies, deceit, wars, you name it. Okay, yeah, it is a descent into hell, figuratively. Back to you. Yes, it is. been transformed the area down as the tyranny is, is rampant yep. on our nation. Yeah. And our people seem to be so docile in accepting it. They are accepting the authorities. They listen to the authorities as they are their gods. They, this is their idol worship. They worship the governments as their gods. Yeah, okay. And Nimblehurst gives us, uh, reminds us the name is Baphomet, that, uh, what's the, androgynous god, right? The goat god, Baphomet. Thank you, Nimblehurst. Okay, back to you. Yeah, Baphomet, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, uh, baffling, baffling us <laughs> with his identity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his church relationship to Thomas is varied in the inscriptions, but in uh, whatever form, period, or country, the great mother is represented in mythology. She is accompanied by a young hero who has some tragic end. Professor Says writes. Quote, when the legend of Thomas go to Greece, his mother was said to be his sister. End quote. Mm. And bracket, and that is Hebrew lectures. Here's again, this makes stuff, stuff uh, right. confusing. Well, we don't want to have the same mythology as the other countries, so let's make her, instead of the mother, we'll make her the sister. Right? Or maybe, you know, because uh, the written language in those days was... Uh, Scarce, right? I'm sure there weren't very many people who could read and write. So, you know, and you know what happens when you tell somebody (laughs) a story and they repeat it to the next person? You know what happens to the story, don't you? Yeah, it changed. It changed, right. Yeah, that could be the reasons. Yeah. And here we have a reference also from Cambridge History, and a footnote. Cambridge History, Volume 1, page 413. Thomas, son of Inini, uh, Dito, page 404. Inini, identified with Ishtar, uh, page 442. Quote, Thomas and his sister Ishtar, end quote. Okay. And that's Hi, Mom, I mean, sister. <laughs> even, even Thomas is confused. Yeah, with all this. Yeah. <laughs> And um, that was end of that footnote. As Anatu, Ishtar was the wife of Anu, although as Ishtar she is sometimes called his daughter, while at other times she is said to, to be the daughter of Sin, the moon god. Professor Yastro says, quote, Ishtar, it will be observed, is here, is here called the daughter of the moon god, whereas in the uh, Gilgames epic, 
she appears as the daughter of Anu, the god of heaven, end quote. Okay. And that is from Religion of Babylonia and Assyria, page 566. Well, uh, didn't uh, didn't uh, Abraham and Isaac pass their wives off as their sisters? <laughs> okay. They did. Yeah. They did. Okay. Oh, is that what they're doing? Maybe they mark, mark the Bible. Right. Okay. Um, and here is Professor Says writes, quote, Belit, the wife of Bel, is sometimes identified with Ishtar as Belit. She is called the Lady of Lands, dwelling in um, Enmashmash, end quote. And that is from Hebrew Lectures, page 237. Um, in obscure inscriptions like those in which Ea is mentioned and in the constant interchanges of the names and attributes of the gods and goddesses, we see what Max Müller calls the, quote, silly and senseless, end quote. <laughs> yes, <laughs> element that, in right. <laughs> okay. But and all archaeologists take it very seriously. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe like the Odinists. Right. <laughs> Are you saying they're they're pagans, <laughs> pagan archaeologists? They may be. <laughs> Certainly not, not Bible believing archaeologists. That's for sure. No, they're not. They don't want to prove the Bible. No. They are far from between. I guess you had one of the great one. What was his name? I have his book. Uh, what was his name? The American. What was his name? Oh, Ron. Um, I forgot his after name now, but uh, Ron, uh, that archaeologist has passed now, but he was extremely good in finding where the Mount Sinai really was in, oh, in yeah, South oh, yeah. Red. Yeah, 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 Ron Wyatt. Yeah. Ron Wyatt, yes, yeah. exactly. He is a fa- very good biblical archaeologist. Yeah, one of the few. Exist. Yeah, one of the few, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they fully justify Professor uh, Pinch's opinion that the priest intended their writings to be as unintelligible as possible. Just like today, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Judeo-Christianity, right? Oh, That's yeah. why so many young people avoid Christianity because it's there's so much nonsense being taught, right? So yeah, they avoid yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's la la la, I don't know what to say. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, God is here. God is here. Exists to make you happy. That's the basic yeah. message. Of, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and the more promises that Joel Osteen makes that you'll be happy, the more money he makes. <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. But I don't think he makes his followers. You and, and no, they're, they're sure pauperized, that, right? Yeah. Okay. Talk about silly and senseless, <laughs> right? Okay. The savage element in mythology uh, to which Max Müller also alludes is shown by Professor Say's descriptions of the rites and ceremonies practiced in the worship of the goddess Ishtar. First at Erech and afterward in other Babylonian cities. At Erech, he says, quote, unspeakable abominations were practiced in the name of Ishtar, which were outdone in horror uh, in other Babylonian cities. The black Ishtar, as we uh, may call her, was the parody of the goddess of love and the rites 
uh, with which she also adored, and yeah. the ministers by whom she was served were equally a uh, paradise of the cult, which was carried out, yeah. uh, carried on at parodies, parodies, uh, not not paradise, parodies. So no, yeah, parodies. Sat- Saturnalia, you know, and uh, Saturn is also uh, the planet of the god of Sa- God Satan. So, you know, they deified uh, planets accordingly, right? So somehow the, the story in the Garden of Eden became ascribed to the different planets in our solar system. It's crazy, but that's what happened. Yeah, back to you. Talk about make it obscure and make it really <laughs> Right, there up. you go. Yeah, must be made obscure. Yeah, and so we don't understand it. It's just because it is, as I said, probably it's just a hearsaying. It, 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 it passes between mouth to mouth and then it changes. And then it developed into those, uh, yeah. Um, her uh, priestesses were the witches who uh, piloted their unholy callings under the shadow of the mighty and, and mixed the uh, poisonous filters, um, it says. Filters. Another obscure uh, word. <laughs> right? P H I L T E R S. Okay. Filters. Uh, which rain away the strength of their hap- uh, hapless victims. Oh, probably, of- yeah, they're probably attempts to uh, to make hallucinogenic drugs, right? Yeah, that uh, does drain away your energy. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was from, this was from religions of ancient Egypt and Babylonia. And those books that she is mentioned, I'm not looked for them yet, but I should look and see if I can find them because I really find them yeah. interesting to learn about this right. old stuff because they probably come back again with those stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so this, a lot of good references here that uh, of books that nobody else ever heard. We, we certainly haven't heard of them until she brought them back up, right? So this is a tremendous reference book here. Okay. It is. It is strange, the professor says, who sees that the priest um, uh, parodied uh, the earlier cult of Ishtar seems to have no uh, suspicions that the whole system of mythology, with all its absurdities and contradictions, is, as it were, a parody of the truth, and that its myth and mysteries were in fact, as Sir William Ramsay writes, quote, elaborated and artificial produced of the deceased religion. And quote. Okay. On the contrary, uh, the professor holds, as we have seen, that the Bible source were founded upon the Babylonian mythology. Okay. So there are plenty of archaeologists and Assyriologists who have the opinion that that uh, that she is trying to purvey here, and it's just that. Uh, but there's so much confusion as to uh, who came first. Were all these gods and goddesses associated with? Yeah, well, obviously, the followers of these religions took them all seriously, right? And that's where the pantheons of all these gods and goddesses come. But very, very few people suspect, oh, well, this is just a retelling of the story of the Garden of Eden and the fall of uh, an Adamic race. That's what it is. And, uh, you know, so you can read all these mythologies, take them all seriously, and not realize, hey, it's just the Garden of Eden being told over and over again in different ways. Yeah, it is. Just uh, they make it. Uh, yeah, this word she used. They make it confusion. They inject a lot of confusion, so they make that uh, Eve has a head and wife and blah blah blah. All that. 
Yeah. So yeah, like very yeah, like the 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 Nazis in Ukraine. <laughs> right? Yeah, where'd that myth come from? There's there's neo Nazis in Ukraine, a Jewish controlled country. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Swamp Fox. Yeah, I mean this is how mythology starts. It starts as a joke, really. Okay. Yeah, it is. But, it's but taken they, seriously. They make, it to, they make it to politics. That's right. Ooh, that's serious. That's when it becomes politics, it becomes real serious. All right. Yeah. Okay, chapter twenty one Cain, the sun god Merodach or Marduk. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. If start up with a quote. It is by the patient accumulations of apparently uh, trifling facts that the most important generalizations are achieved. And quote. <laughs> right, right. Deville's prolegomena, I've never heard of that. Uh, prolegomena <laughs> is, is just another word for introduction. So introduction to what? <laughs> I don't know. All right, back to you. I don't know really what that meant by all yeah. that, but I don't need. I don't know. <laughs> well, let me let me read it here. Yeah. It, it is by the patient accumul- accumulation of or the organ accumulator <laughs> by patient accumulation of apparently trifling facts that the most important generalizations are achieved. In other words, you take trifling facts and make them uh, broad statements of fact, right? That's, yeah. Or or turn it into politics, as you just put it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Although uh, we do not find among the oldest Babylonian gods, one of which Cain could have been the prototype, we certainly find him in later mythology. He could not well have deified himself, but his followers would naturally have honored uh, his memory in that way after his death. The monuments show that Sargon was deified, um, mm. and the words, quote, Sargon is my god, end quote, are found in a few inscriptions, but it is, um, bracket, in my opinion, and bracket, the most celebrated of all the Babylonian gods, uh, Menodach, the sun god, who was Sargon's real representative in mythology. Okay. Uh, to Professor State, unanswered questions. Quote, now, who was this Menodach, this uh, patron god of Babylon? End quote. My answer is, therefore, the mythological representatives of Sargon, bracket, Cain, and the bracket, and certainly the name Merodach would have well suited the uh, rebellious Cain if, as one writer suggests, it was derived from uh, Marad to rebel. Oh, Marauder. That's, uh, so Marad is uh, the, our source word for rebel and Marauder. Very interesting. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and Ma- M- Muranos, I don't know, Murano use, is that, yeah. maybe that is not... Could, well, yeah, it's close, but that means pig. Yeah, Murano yeah. means pig, <laughs> Jewish pig is what that word means, actually, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I guess Cain was a Jewish pig. <laughs> yeah, right. rebellious one, too. Yeah, right. Uh, it is interesting to note that the Jews spoke of Cain as... Quote, the first free thing, thing. Yeah, the first thing liberal. Quote. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Right. Fake, a fake Nazi. <laughs> yeah. It may have been, as Lord Byron suggests, 
that Cain was the only one of the first few Adamites to rebel against the sentence of death pronounced upon all mankind. A bracket. Cain, a uh, uh, mystery, and the bracket. One reason for thinking that uh, Merodach represented Cain is that he was uh, the uh, patron god of Babylon, uh, which city the inscriptions show existed in Sargon's time. Quote, the omens placed the founding of the city Agade. Soon after Sargon's first uh, invasion of the west, he took soil from the outer wall of Babylon and um, consecrated the boundaries of his new capital by tracing its outer walls with the earth of the holy city of Marduk. He made it after the model of Babylon, end quote. And that's from Cambridge History, Volume 1, page 407. And in the Encyclopedia Britannica, we read, quote, The history of the city of Babylon can now be traced back to the days of Sargon of Agade, bracket, before 3000 BC, and bracket, who appears to have given that city its name. There is every reason to assume, therefore, that the cult of Marduk existed already at this early period, end quote. Cult of the rebel, yep. Yeah, and that was from Volume 1, Edition 2, Marduk. If we rule out the possibility of its having been built by the pre-Adamites, Babylon may have been one of the seven cities attributed to Cain in Jewish tradition. Okay, uh, now a very interesting thought just occurred to me. So Cain slash Sargon would never want to admit to his followers that he murdered Abel, right? So what did he do? He deified Abel by calling him Temus. Now they're brothers again. <laughs> okay. That's how mythology works, folks. Yeah, now they're brothers again, and he haven't killed him, and what? Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, well, he, he covered that up, right? He covered up his crime. Yeah, he lied. Deified, so, so instead of deifying himself, he let his followers do it. But then he, he had to cover up the, his murder of Abel. Absolutely. All right, back to you. Yeah. And try to lie. Um, Nebuchadnezzar calls Merodach in inscriptions, quote, The firstborn, the glorious, the firstborn of the gods, Merodach, the prince, end quote. Um, suitable titles, one would think, for the firstborn of Adam's race. Yeah, so here we see what the Babylonians worshipped for God when they invaded the uh, the two southern tribes uh, of the Israelites in in Judea. Yeah. Okay, uh, Nimblehorse has come up with some interesting word studies here. The Jew or Moor in Spain, who to avoid persecution, publicly professed conversion to Christianity while privately continuing the practice and beliefs of their old religion, i.e. deceivers, just like Cain. Okay. And uh, so the, we're from Arabic Muharram, forbidden thing, from Haruma was forbidden. See, harem. <laughs> okay. All right. So it, all these word studies are really uh, valuable. Okay. So Marad is the original word according to uh, Mrs. Sydney Bristow here. M-A-R-A-D. The rebel. Cain the rebel. 
Yeah, so Mars and Rano. I don't know if they are two words together, but Mars is the same same start of the word. Uh huh. And that's the planet Mars, also the rebellious planet. That's how Mars got its name from Marad, the the planet of the rebellion in the mythology, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we get we're getting all these connections. It's very good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Marduk or Merodach is the most elusive of the Babylonian gods. There is a recipient of the least fifty names, <laughs> right? And and let's, let's see what they say. Number three here, uh, quote as a footnote: Azari always used of Marduk uh, as the epithet only, as in the tablet of the uh, fifty names. End quote. And that's from Journal of Egyptian Archaeology, 1922, page number 8. And um, of most of the attributes given to the first gods on Ea and Bel, but the fact that Merodach is always called the son of the firstborn uh, of Ea, at okay. once identify him with Eve's eldest son, Cain. If I'm right in assuming that the god Ea was the male form of Eve, here we have an example of the in- intricate method of mystifications employed by the priest. For not only is uh, Merodach said to be the eldest born of Ea, but he is also shown to be the eldest born of Ishtar, since Davkina, the wife of Ea, is another form uh, of Ishtar. Um, and here let's see in a, a footnote. Quote, Ishtar inherit the attributes of Davkina uh, and footnote. Yeah, and of uh, course, Cain was the elder there, brother of Abel. So, so uh, again, it fits the prototype in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, to crown their inconsistency in the story of the uh, creation, Merodach father is called not Ea as uh, elsewhere, but Anu. And here, let's see a footnote. Marduk is king. They bestowed upon him uh, uh, a scepter, throne, and um, pala. By his side, he slung the net, the gift of his father on, and the quote. And that is from the story of uh, creation, the origin of the Bible tradition by A.T. Clay. Uh, let's see. Since Anu represents Adam and Ea and Ishtar represents Eve, who could Merodach, their eldest born, have represented <laughs> but Cain? Uh, no idea. <laughs> That's a mystery. They wanted to be a mystery. That's right. In some inscriptions, Thomas also is called the son of Ea and Davkina. And so is shown to be the brother of Merodach, as Abel was Cain. Professor Says writes, uh, quote, Thomas, the son of the river god Ea, end quote. And that this is from Hebert Lectures, page 212, end bracket. Um, Sargon too is called the son of Ea, and one inscription in which he is described as such is a, god, a good example of the priest method of obscuring the truth while allowing it to appear as it were between the lines it runs. Quote, uh, Sargon, the mighty man, man, son of the god, Ea, 
prince of the moon god, begotten of Tammuz and Ishtar, end quote. And this is a bracket. Worship of the dead, uh, Garnier, <laughs> page 399. Her dead ancestors, yes. <laughs> uh, the name of Thomas is eventually introduced in this inscriptions uh, as a blind, but the priest, uh, by showing that Sargon was the son of both Ea and Ishtar, supports my view that both these names represented Eve, while the fact that both Sargon and Merodach are called the son of Ea and Ishtar seems to prove that Merodach was the mythological representatives of Sargon, and that if Cain was Sargon, Merodach was Cain's mythological representative. Right. Had the priest whose uh, writings show that Merodach and Thomas was brother also shown that Merodach murdered Thomas, it would have been too obvious. That's right. That Cain, mm-hmm, yeah. Yep. That Cain's murder of Abel was referred to. Um, it is. It is not surprising, therefore, that no hint of such a thing has been found in the inscriptions. Yeah, Cain had to cover that up. He couldn't, as we said earlier, he couldn't admit to having killed his brother Abel or Tammuz. He could never admit to that. At the same time, it seems unlikely that so remarkable an episode should have escaped comment considering how other events recounted in the first chapter of Genesis were repeatedly alluded to. My suggestion is, therefore, that a double uh, was invented for Merodach, another sun god, uh, sun god called Adar, and uh, that he, instead of uh, Merodach, was said to have murdered Thomas, other ah. Babylonian gods. Oh, it was my twin uh, brother that murdered Abel. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was my twin brother. <laughs> oh, other Babylonian gods have doubles. And Professor Says writes, quote, uh, in the shepherd tabula, however, we have the double of the um, shepherd Thomas himself, end quote. And this is from Hebert Lectures, page 112. And since the shepherd Thomas uh, had a double, uh, the sun god Merodach may also have had one, and that uh, that double was the sun god. Other seems certain, um, for we find that Ares, um, his representative in Greek mythology, was said to have murdered Thomas. Ares is and just another word for Mars. The rebel. Oh, that Mars okay. did it, okay. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And since the Greek and Roman mythologies are known to have been inspired uh, by that of Babylonia, we may... Suppose that all, although no hint of the murder of Abel by Cain has been found in Babylonian inscriptions, the story found its way into Greece and Rome. Very interesting. Yes. Okay, we have about eight minutes left, and we can probably get into chapter 22. And you know, I think we're getting the point that uh, Mrs. Sidney Bristow is making in this book that uh, all of this mythology has been created in order to disguise the the fact that all of these Babylonian religions, all of these rebellious religions, go back to Cain and not to any other objects. Cain is the source of all of this Babylonian mythology, and uh, that's all you really need to know. I think she's 
proven this point magnificently in this book. Back to you. Mm. Yeah, she has, and then, and I for and I also find it very interesting how how uh, in the previous chapter that she points out where the I believe where the Trinity comes from. Okay. That the Trinity yeah, yeah. that they have in the modern modern church today is from Babylon. Amen. Yeah, that's that's the original source. The Adam, Eve, and uh, and well, who Cain, right? <laughs> Adam, Eve, and Cain. Their their Trinity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. I think we have time to read chapter twenty-two because it's only one page. Oh, okay. I can read it. Okay. And um, this is chapter twenty-two. Uh, Adar and Ar is connected with Cain. Professor says says quote another title connects Adar with the uh, Arius of Greek mythology, who in the form of the wild boar slew the sun god Samus. There you go. There's a pig. There's the pig symbolism again, <laughs> right? The wild boar. I was a wild boar. Yeah, I had yep. uh, that memory was correct. Yeah, <laughs> right. And he connects Adar with Cain by saying that Adar's quote title, Lord of the Date. The sheaf fruit of Babylonia reminds us of Cain, who was a tiller of the ground. And okay. quote. Okay. That's that is. Although he didn't like being that, he was. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. The title quote Lord of the, of the Date and quote also connects Adar indirectly with Sargon of Akkad, for the quote dates of Akkad and uh, quote are often mentioned in inscriptions, as we see later. Merodach is um, credited with the ir- irrigation and uh, agriculture of Babylonia, again suggesting Cain, and hence, perhaps, the uh, title of, quote, Lord um, of the Date, end quote, given to Merodach's double Adar. If, as Professor Says points out, Thomas was uh, the mythological able Merodach, the brother of Thomas, eventually represented Cain, and if, as the professor suggested, the Greek uh, uh, god Ares, who murdered Thomas, was uh, the later form of the Babylonian god Adar. Adar also represented Cain. We may therefore assume that Merodach and Adar were identical, that they both represented Cain, and that anything said about them in inscriptions it's important for that reason, the fact, for instance, that Adar is said to be a giant and encourage the hypothesis that the first Adamites were of great stature. Oh, well, certainly the Bible talks about giants in Genesis chapter 6. So probably Adar is a, a giant that came later. You know, whether Adam, Eve, uh, and uh, th- those people were giants is doubtful, in my opinion, but nef- because the giants came later, right? But uh, you have to incorporate, you know, the, the mythology of the giants has to be incorporated to impress people, right? So we find it uh, in the, the mythology of Cain as well, right? So that's a, uh, so again, we see the word studies that she is doing here. And the fact that these words like marad still exist as marauder and other things in modern language point back to Cain, right? They point back to Cain. Now, uh, we haven't, uh, we only have about two minutes left. 
So uh, another aspect of this uh, going through into Babylon was that Nimrod was said to have possessed the robe of Adam or the cloak or the loincloth of Adam. But I think after they left the garden, uh, they actually made clothes. And that was used as an amulet, a, a form of power. Maybe that is the mark of Cain. I'm just speculating here. Okay? It could be that. The mark was actually, by the way, and that's re- retained by the Freemasons as their apron. Right? Maybe that is the mark of Cain. I'm just guessing here because it's it's a mystery what the mark of Cain really is. It could be the Freemasons' apron. Okay. So anyway, uh, Michael, thanks for uh, uh, narrating this. Yeah, we'll have to discuss how much more of this book we want to cover because I think we really uh, have gotten the essence of what she's trying to convey here. So you know, let's go over this book. Uh, and uh, see what else really is uh, of importance and uh, that that really needs to be conveyed by uh, Mrs. Sidney Bristow. Okay. All right. Okay, Michael. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have some, uh, we have some more in maybe in some more chapter. I think is interesting to discuss also this uh, connection with um, uh, Cain and China. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And Michael is doing his own, uh, uh, you know, reading of the uh, this book on his own, and so uh, you know you can make that available you know to our listeners as well. Okay, we'll talk about that maybe next week. All right. Yes. Okay, Michael. Thank you. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. I think we've got this figured out. <laughs> Sargon the Magnificent is indeed Cain, no doubt about it. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Peace.